Well, welcome this morning again, Touch Heaven Church. Those of you online with us, welcome. Those who will be tuning in at another time, welcome. The good news is, especially if you've heard the message a few weeks ago, we are not defined by time. We define time. Uh, Time is not the measure of who we are and what we do. We are the measure in eternity of what we are and what we do. I had this conversation with uh, somebody a few days ago, and I told them as they were contemplating age, I said, you know, age is a measurement of, 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 of what we understand according to the time here on earth. Oops, I knew that was going to happen, but that's okay. Leanne will forgive me. But, um, but according to the kingdom, age is when your assignment is completed. And when your assignment is completed, then there's only one other option, and that's to go home and to be able to continue on in eternity with another assignment. And for those of us who understand the redemption and that there is a hell and there is a heaven, we understand that the Lord has made a way for us because he loves us so much that he gave his only son, that whomsoever shall believe on him shall have eternal life. And so while, yes, it's hard to let go, but at the same time, we have that comfort. I also say this, that it's okay. In fact, Jesus showed us himself as he was grief-stricken about Lazarus, his friend. The best we can understand is that even beside his disciples, I believe Lazarus was his best friend. You know, sometimes it's the people that you're with all the time that you can't let your guard down with. You just don't feel comfortable dealing with certain things with people that you're with all the time because you're with them all the time. But there's something about a best friend. Jesus grieved. He wept. In fact, it's one of the smallest, shortest, wordless scriptures in all the Bible. He wept. And he knew that he was about to raise him from the dead, but he wept. He wept because he had a hole in his heart that got filled. Let's pray, because I believe that there'll be some rest, peace, escape, deliverance, refuge for a lot of us, for a lot of you, in what the Lord's going to share this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that even as you said through Isaiah and you amplified through Jesus, that we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. We receive that Word in the foundation of Scripture, of Torah, of the prophets, of the Gospels, of the Pauline epistles, of all that you've given us from beginning to end of Scripture that we know. And Father, we ask you to continue to develop us, to equip us 
to comfort us, to give us wisdom and knowledge with fresh revelation of this word, building and building and building upon everything that you do for us and say to us, be glorified, O God. We worship you. We worship you with our praise. We worship you with our song. We worship you with our prayer. And now we worship you with the preaching and the teaching. For you alone be unto the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You might have seen the e-blast that was sent out yesterday. How many of you might have read that? Well, some of you. I would encourage you. How many of you get them? Let me, let me change that. How many of you don't get them? Well, you need to fix that. Do you have email? Well, you've got to give your email to the church. Write it down and uh, give it to JP before you leave today in the back. And we'll make sure that you're added to the contact list. And then I'm going to encourage you to take a little peek at the e-blast that comes out typically in Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, because you'll know then where the Lord is taking us. Sometimes we don't get there. Sometimes he changes it completely. But at least you'll know where we think we're headed to in that given moment. I want to acknowledge that uh, I heard wonderful praise reports of the men's meeting Saturday morning, Jimmy. It was awesome, again, from the women's, of course. And I heard about Thursday night, and Pastor Ralph has begun and brought it into the house, a men's meeting on Thursday night. Seven o'clock, Ralph? Six o'clock. And uh, the brother came up and told me how awesome it was and how things are happening, and somebody else told me uh, Sonny told me on the way in this morning, and, and you know, that's, that is equipping and building uh, blocks for the body of Christ. So I would encourage you men, you know, if you can get away from the sports bar and the gambling halls and whatever you're not supposed to be doing and quit buying those billion-dollar lottery tickets and all that kind of stuff. If you can get in here on Thursday night, I think it'd be a good thing for you. Men to men, iron sharpens iron. And I believe there'll be something soon with the women too midweek. And, and I'm also learning and understanding some of you uh, are holding meetings in your homes. I know Bing, you do. I know Brian and Nancy, you do. And I know those are flourishing and people are coming to the Lord. And you know, one time we attempted to start our houses of peace and it just didn't take off and work the way we wanted it to do, but the Lord's doing it another way. And uh, you're stepping up and you're using the gifts that God's given you in the community and the sphere of influence that God has given you. And I want you to know as you do that, that you're drawn upon the favor and the sphere of the house. You're drawn upon the, the, all that has been poured in for many years to the call of God and the appointing of God. And we're those who believe in the offices of the church, Ephesians 4.11. We believe in the office of the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet, the apostle. Those are real. And each one of those has an expansive sphere. And as you move in those spheres, they go with you. We had a team that went to Africa recently and they operated in the total sphere of the apostolic there. And of course, Patty heading that up with Ralph and Dwayne and, and, and even the rain came again in the midst of a drought which hadn't happened since the last time we were there in the midst of a drought because we're a rain-making apostolic ministry. 
And the rain is just an example of the Spirit pouring down, but it manifests to a human need. So I encourage you to, to use the, the sphere of influence, use the power of the house, use the dominion and the authority, and, and make your way wherever the Lord has you to make your way. You will not find insecurity in this house. You will not find that. That word doesn't exist here. What we do is encourage, we support, we, we, we edify, we, I, I relish it. And even in the business world, I always say this, the only thing that agitates me is when somebody doesn't try to do something at all. It's okay if we make mistakes. You can't make a mistake unless you do something. So if you do nothing, guess what? That's the worst mistake. Because what are you accomplishing? Nothing. Nothing. A media's math, zero minus zero equals zero. How many times have you heard that, Jimmy? Right? So, I want to share with you something that, as I was asking the Lord about it, and uh, was praying in the Spirit, he, 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 he hit me with the eye of the storm. And of course, I'm sure it was stirred by my own spirit, seeking a refuge under the shadow of the Almighty in the past two weeks, and trying to keep strong for so many other people when I myself was, was weak inside. I told somebody just yesterday, I'm tired of funerals. I said, Lord, I'm tired of funerals. I need a respite from funerals. And they sort of pile up on you, don't they? You know, one funeral brings back the emotions of another funeral, and one passing brings back the passing of another, and everybody's holding on to each other, and it's like, wow, I thought I was past that. And then I realize that there's a hole that happens in our hearts sometimes, and as I sang to you, I don't know if that hole is to let grief out, let darkness out, or to let light in. Maybe it's a portal for both. Only the Lord knows. But as I was pondering deeply and praying in the Spirit, Lord, how do I make, <laughs> how do I make lemonade out of this lemon? It's a challenge sometimes, isn't it? And he showed me the eye of the hurricane. If we could put the lights down and put it up for a moment, please. I want you to look at this. Now, hurricane, cyclone, typhoon, even a tornado, somewhat, but not often, they have similar features of the storm. And that area in the middle is called the eye. And those of us who have been through hurricanes or others, maybe typhoon, maybe a cyclone, you've experienced that when it first starts to come, there's what's called outer bands. And those outer bands are the furthest ones out where you see south and east. And if you're on that east side of the storm, you get the strongest. If you're on the other side, it begins to lighten up some. And those outer bands begin to flow in sometimes a day, two days ahead of time before the impact of the fury of the storm hits. So it's a warning, it's a time. And in certain areas, you know, people react by going to the grocery store and buying everything in sight. 
They go to Home Depot and they buy out all the generators. They buy out all the plywood. They buy out the tools, the fasteners and electrical things and, and cords and whatever they can find. You'll find that water disappears. A lot of peanut butter is gone. And people stock up so much that after the storm, the next week or two or three, all kind of food makes its way to the shelters. And when those outer bands begin to come, the tension and the pressure has begun to be felt. And all of a sudden, the darkness gets darker, the winds get stronger, the rain begins to pour down and it goes from straight down to sideways. The elements begin to take their toll on everything around it, whether it be a house, a person, a vehicle, a tree, a pole. Things begin to get disturbed and chaos hits and destroy comes and even the rescuers give warnings. There will be a moment when we won't come to rescue you anymore. Run, flee. Go away. We may not get to you for a day, two days, a week. How about that poor, pathetic situation in New Orleans? Terrible. And that's only because it happened here in this country and we know about it and it happens all over the place. Haiti is hit with a storm about every year or two. I've been there through a few of them. Florida hits about once or twice a year most often. Certain parts of India areas get hit by typhoons. Japan had one of the worst earthquake and typhoons and tsunamis in 2011 that hit in March 11th and went all the way across the world and even showed up on the beaches of the west coast of America. Powerful storms. But the Lord He's in the storm. Do you know that the highest winds, the highest pressure winds, the most fierce winds, the most fierce damage is right in the outer walls of the eye of the storm where you see some yellow and green and in that dark hole. Those walls are the most horrific. They're the ones that do the most damage. They don't last as long because it's moving and then comes the eye, but they're powerful. The pressure of those walls sometimes is two and three times greater than that of the entire rest of the hurricane. Pounding pressure. And, the, and, it, and the, it sucks up water and sucks up air so that it also becomes a huge suction cup. It spawns off other storms and tornadoes within those walls. It's the closest thing we know to hell on earth for a moment, naturally caused. And then it stops. Have any of you ever been in the eye of a hurricane or a cyclone or a typhoon? You, you don't understand it until you're there. I remember the very first time I was in the eye with my wife and Jim was with us and throughout the storm and especially through the walls of the eyes of the hurricane and especially when those walls began to suck, it was trying to suck the doors out of our house. 
And Jim and I were holding on to the handles. We even tied a rope to it to try to keep the doors from being sucked out. There's many, many stories of animals and people and equipment and cars being sucked up and taken somewhere and they're found hundreds of miles away, sometimes in Canada from here with a tornado. They just, whew, and they're gone. The power of the storm, the pressure. But then, all of a sudden, it doesn't, it's not like it dies down, it just stops. It's so unusual, it's uncanny. It's unnatural, but it's natural. And there you are in the eye of the storm. And in the eye of the storm, oftentimes, there's birds of the sky <laughs> that are flying. They must just stay in the eye as it goes to try to stay alive, I don't know. All of a sudden, you see these birds that would have been just flipped away like a butterfly against a fan. And the skies open up and they become blue. When all around the clouds are 40, 50,000 feet tall. You can't get around or above a typhoon or a hurricane. Commercial flights won't get you there. They have to go around hundreds of miles to avoid them. That's how high they go. But yet, you're looking up and there's a blue sky. And it's calm. It's eerily calm. It's so calm, there's no wind whatsoever. And the sun breaks out and you look, you go outside, or you come out of your shelter, whatever it is you've been at, and it's like a whole different world. It's peaceful, it's restful, it's quiet, it's bright, there's the light. There's a moment hour, two hours, three hours, maybe four, where you let your guard back down and you say, ah, the eye of the storm. I wrote to you that there was a young lieutenant, actually a first lieutenant in the United States Air Force just before the war ended. He was part of an outer base. And that base was right at the edge of the China, India, Burma theater. Right at the edge. The enemy on this side, the U.S. air base on that side. Their mission was to bring soldiers and Chinese soldiers and supplies over the Himalaya mountains. They called them the 50 centers, 50 percenters, because 50% of them never made it. It was known as the graveyard of the Air Force with airplanes that never got up high enough over the peaks because, you see, they didn't have GPS, they didn't have radar, they didn't have sonar, they didn't have anything. They had a compass and an altitude and they got up as high as they could and they hoped they were over the right place. And if there were clouds, they didn't know. It was called the graveyard of the Air Force. 
And these brave pilots oftentimes by themselves in the cockpit with the soldiers in the back. They'd take off overloaded, head off to the battlefield, land in the middle of the field, turn around as they jumped out and get out of there as fast as they could. Well, there was a typhoon coming in, and even as they do now, right? When there's a typhoon coming in, they begin to empty airports. They get the, they get the hardware out of there, the assets out of there. They take them somewhere safe so that they don't lose them and they're not damaged, and that's what they did there. And the Edie came out, get all the planes out, get all of the airmen out, get everybody out that you can, and head the other direction away from the typhoon. The typhoon's coming in from the east, you go west. Outrace it. Get to safe harbor. And they had multiple kinds of airplanes. They had fighter airplanes, they had cargo airplanes, but they only had one scout plane. It was a very small, little piston turbo plane. Piston prop, not turbo. Two-seater. We call them puddle jumpers. And its whole mission was to be able to go slow and go low and be able to spot the enemy and come back and tell people where it was. That was the whole mission of this plane. So all of the other bigger planes went out. The twin engines, the fighter planes, the faster planes, everything went out and there was one little plane left, that little scout plane. And the commander who was about to get in the last twin engine plane asked a few pilots that were left here, do I have a volunteer for someone to take this little plane out? Well, that was almost signing on to less than a 50 center because it was slow. It was slower than the typhoon and it couldn't go high and it couldn't go fast and it didn't have fuel for a long time. His first lieutenant, he said, I'll do it. He got in the plane and everybody had taken off and off he went and sure enough, the typhoon caught him. And he found himself fighting just to keep the plane aloft. He didn't know how many times he flipped. He didn't know how many times things went around. He was spun around like an insect in a windstorm. He had no idea and bearing of where he was at, but he knew he was going the wrong direction. He knew he was being pushed backwards into the war zone. He wondered if he would crash against the Himalayan mountains. He had no idea. He just hung on and likely said some prayers. And all of a sudden, in the worst and the most fierce of the winds, and if you've ever been in a thunderstorm in an airplane, I promise you, you wouldn't do it more than once. Been there and done that. You go up, you go down. A couple thousand feet in mere seconds. Woo, woo, the wings feel like they're coming off. Everything's pummeling the airplane. 
And it got worse and worse in those outer walls and in that pressure. And then all of a sudden, the eye of the storm. The young lieutenant began to look around and said, I know this isn't for long. I'm getting on the ground. And he began to look for a place to to land this little airplane, a field, something that didn't look like he would flip it over on his way down. Not sure what still worked or didn't work in this little plane. And all of a sudden, he saw this other object come flying right, almost hit him. And he looked and it had a rope hanging on the tail and he realized it was a glider airplane. And it had the British insignia Air Force on it. The Royal Air Force insignia. And he watched this glider plane go around and round. So he began to follow it because he figured maybe he knows the area and I'll follow him in. And he watched the glider plane go in and basically smashed it up, but he went in behind it. And in so doing, he bent the prop of that little airplane against a rock. And what an uncanny bonding relationship. Two young lieutenants. (laughs) This guy was getting towed away from the typhoon and it wasn't going fast enough and it just snapped that glider. Can you imagine that guy? No difference if you had power or not if you couldn't deal with it. And there's the two of them in the middle of a field. And they're wondering, where are we? They know the storm's coming. So they crawl under something and wait and it goes by. And they come and they look at the little airplane and they got enough fuel to start it, but it's got a bent prop. So they take the prop off and they walk to a village, not knowing who they're gonna find or what they're gonna see. And they find some Chinese nationalists, an old village. And they took out a piece of paper that happened to be in the U.S. lieutenant's pocket. And on it written, essentially said, hi, I'm your friend. I've come from America to help you. And essentially was in case you were a POW or in case you were running and had crashed. Essentially it said, can you help me? There was a problem. Nobody in the village could read. So they went through some sign language and through some other things and somebody there helped heat up the prop, take out the bend in it enough that they could put it back on the plane. And after the storm had passed, those two unlikely friends flew out of there, rescued and delivered by a small, the smallest airplane in the Air Force at that time the most feeble, non-weapon, capable of doing nothing but going slow and low to spot trouble. 
This is that first lieutenant's, what's left of it, his flight jacket. That sign, that was the sign of the famous Terry and the Pirates. That was the squadron. The back is all gone. This was the sign of the China-Burma Theater, the Chinese and the Indians. Over here was the squadron in command. This young pilot, as he matured and grew older and continued his career in the Air Force, became a colonel, he had this replica made of his flight jacket. That's China-India theater. That's what you just saw on the one sleeve. Terry and the Pirates. And there's a nameplate on it. It says Chester Media Colonel, United States Air Force. If it wasn't for the eye of the storm, I wouldn't be here today. If it wasn't for the eye of the storm, I wouldn't be married to my trophy wife. If it wasn't for the eye of the storm, I wouldn't have 10 grandchildren and four children and a whole bunch of multiple Children serving in the military, two majors, one captain, multiple veterans. The circle of life is like the eye of the storm. As I considered the eye of the storm more, I consider Genesis 1.26. Now, we all know it. It's foundational in this ministry as we assume dominion and authority, but I want to put it up on the screen. I want us to grasp, really grasp, who we are and what we have. Now, God had pretty much finished with creation as we know it, right? Stars, the, the, the sea, the sky, the animals, all of the bugs, <laughs> the fishes, everything created. The land, the separation of the land, the light from the day, all created. But in it, he kept telling us one fundamental truth of creation, foundational. Everything he created, he would paraphrase after it. Remember, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And after every one of those, whether it was a slug from the earth or one of the most beautiful horses ever made, any species of fish, too many to count, earthworms, insects, animals, strange-looking ones, gracious-looking ones. No matter what, 
He kept saying, let every kind make its own kind. Bring forth, reproduce. Let every kind make its own kind. And then he made the most phenomenal kind called human, both male and female. And he said, let us, 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 God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, not Adonai, Eloheinu, us, plural. Let us make man in our image, Eloheinu, according to our likeness. Nothing else ever created like it, not even an angel, not even an angel. Let them have, ooh, dominion. What? Dominion. Over what? Over the fish, over the birds, over the cattle, over all the earth. Huh? Over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You know, if we have just a a human mindset, creeping things to us are like snakes and, you know, things that don't have legs. And it's bigger than that. <laughs> it's also over all the creatures of evil because they're like snakes. That's how the Bible refers to them. Vipers, scorpions, creepy things. Let this man in our image have dominion over all those creepy things. <laughs> creepy. They're creepy. They're creeps. Huh? Give this new creation in our image dominion over all the earth. You mean even of the storm? Is it possible? It's not only possible, it's our authority. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. Now, many scriptures talk about the Lord protecting his creation, his image creation from the spiritual correlations of storms and raging seas and driving rains and heavy winds. One of the ones we like the most are the words of Jesus spoken in the Gospels, but we're going to look at Matthew 8, 26. What does the Bible say about being in the storm, the storm of life, the natural storm? What does it say? Jesus said to them, why are you fearful? Oh, you have little faith. His, his disciples were scared. You see, they, they had too much knowledge. They had practical knowledge. They were lacking spiritual wisdom. And so they knew that when you're stuck out in the Galilee, it's like a big saucer, almost like a miniature Lake Erie. 
Lake Erie is very dangerous. It's more dangerous than the ocean most often times because it flops around with the waves. How many of you have ever been caught in Lake Erie in a storm? It's not pleasant. You do it one time too, it's just like the thunderstorm. You say, I'm never doing that again. There's nowhere to go. You're caught in a saucer. Same thing in Galilee. And so those disciples knew their, days, their hours were numbered, their minutes were about ready to go. The boat would break up. They couldn't pitch enough water to stay, and there's Jesus taking a nap, resting in the storm. Remember something from this. He was in the storm in the boat with you. He's not outside the storm. He's not in another vessel. He's in the boat, in the storm with you. Jesus says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith, where's your faith at? Haven't you seen what I've been doing? Haven't you heard my words? Aren't you, aren't your eyes opening up to realize that there's a different dimension, a different dominion, a different authority than that which you've been trained to not know? And then he arose. He spoke to the winds and the sea. And it became calm. There's something about a huge hole in our faith. Mm -hmm. You see, we, we think, we believe God hears prayer, we believe in God, we believe in Jesus. We believe in praying in the name of Jesus, right? How many of you believe God answers prayer? Yeah. But for somehow, some way that religious spirit crops in and it begins to choke out the authority, the power, the dominion, and we become beggars. We begin to beg God to help us with the problem instead of speaking to the problem and telling it it has a problem. Huh? And those of us who do that, we're called radical. Guess what? We are. We don't accept somebody telling us something wrong. We're willing to go to our grave believing the truth. Because the truth is just the truth. It never goes away. The light might extinguish here in this realm, but in the next realm, it's brighter than ever. The truth will set you free. <laughs> because we get bondage. Jesus didn't get up and beg the Father, oh, look at these poor people, help them out, Lord. You know, what am I going to do? He rebuked them. He couldn't think like they were thinking. His mind couldn't adapt to their mind because he was spirit-filled. He was on the earth, but not really living by the rules of the earth. He was honoring the law of the faith of Jewishness because he came to perfect the law and never to sin. But other than that, he wasn't moved at all by natural situations. <laughs> Death, an opportunity for life. Blindness, let's see. Can't walk, get up and walk. 
You're dead, you're sick, you got leprosy, be clean. You got demons, get them out. He spoke to the problems. And the problems obeyed him. Because he came back in the image and likeness of man. And he understood that not only did he have power when he was in heaven, but he needed to exercise his power here in the flesh, spirit-filled just like you and I can be now and should be and are. And he rebuked the problem. He spoke to the problem. And the problems always answered and obeyed what he said. That's the faith that we want to pressure to. Now sometimes the storm is vicious. Sometimes it's not just a single whammy, it's a multiple whammy. Sometimes it hurts. Storms come in many ways. They come as fractured promises, betrayals, financial problems, health problems, divorces, wayward children. They come as a darkness that overwhelms in the middle of the night and you didn't even see the outer bands and you were already caught up in the pressure of the storm. And as you're praying and some people are begging, it seems the pressures get worse and worse and worse and the outer walls are almost choking your life out. But that's when you speak to the storm. And you say, you know what? 10,000 can fall around me. Nary a hair shall be touched on my head. That's when you begin to speak to the problem. You speak to the mountain. Yes, you know God's the power, God's the source, God's the force, but He doesn't want us to be left as beggars. We do not preach begging. We declare. Because we know that we've already overcome everything because we're overcomers, because He overcame everything for us. So there's refuge in the eye of the storm. Isaiah 4, 6. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm in the rain. The Lord, the Lord is our strength and our refuge. He's a shelter. Psalm 89, 9. You rule over the surging sea. <laughs> when its waves mount up, you calm them. How appropriate, Psalms 107, 29. He calmed the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were finished. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me and He delivered me from all of my fears. 
You know, there's some and want to preach that like Job, his worst fears came upon him. Job wasn't filled with the Spirit. Job didn't understand dominion and authority. He only understood favor and blessing. Job was the original prosperity message. <laughs> Until the storm came. And then the pressure of that storm tested and tested and pressed into him and fired, fire hewed him just like fine silver and gold. And everything that he had held on to that he thought was his right because of how righteous he was before God got challenged. His health with boils, his family destroyed and killed, mocked, his wealth gone, boils on his body, thrashing them, wishing he were dead. But all he kept saying is, nevertheless, my God's alive. That was his safety net. Nevertheless, I'm getting in the eye of the storm. You take my body, you take my family, you take my wife. You can take everything there is, you can't take my God. He heard me. Your worst fears are not going to come upon you. Listen to me. Your worst fears are not going to come upon you. That's the law. You're living in grace. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ has made you more than a conqueror. You are not put here on earth to show how much you can tolerate. You're put here on earth to show how much you can conquer. And when you've done all you can do, then continue to stand. And stand strong. And believe, never give up believing, and it's okay to cry out to God and tell Him you got a hole in your heart. He knows it. It's okay to be intimate with your Lord. He understands it. Yes, you're going to have your moments. They're going to crash upon you. You're going to wonder what happened. You might have a doctor telling you there's no way out, there's no more hope. Well, guess what? That's because they don't understand that the hole in the heart is a way to let stuff out and to let stuff in. They don't understand that when you're in the storm, there's a, a rest found in the eye and that Jesus is the eye of the storm. They don't understand that he meant, Father, I pray that you give them the same glory that we have and that you be in me and we be, I be in you and we be in them and they be in us. You know, we like that little poem and story we see of the footprints in the sand. It's a nice one, right? You see the footprints and you only see one set and you say, where's the Lord that he was carrying you? That's a nice one. You know what I like? I like the one that says I'm in him and he's in me. It's nice to be carried. It's better to be in. Huh? It's better to be in. Another scripture. Colossians 1.16. I'm sorry, Colossians 1.16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And that's what brings us to the, the, the truth of our faith, the mystery of our faith out of Hebrews 11, right? Faith, what is faith? Tell me what it is. Faith is the 
the evidence of which it's visible and invisible. Faith is invisible until it's visible. And once it's visible, you don't need faith anymore. Huh? I was healed of, of, of crippling arthritis, never supposed to walk. Told me I had a tumor in my head is gonna make me blind at best and lose one ear. Faith, I walk, I got no tumor, I'm not blind, I got my ear. I don't need faith for that anymore, I got it. God has blessed you in so many ways. You don't need to have faith for what he's already blessed you in. You need to have faith for the invisible things that are as, as substantial as the ones you've already received because we understand the mystery of time. We understand that just because it hasn't manifest here on the earth doesn't mean it's already real. It's more real where it's, you don't see it than it is where you do see it. Come on. Faith is the substance of what? You're hoping for it. You haven't seen it yet. Why do you have hope for it? Because it is. <laughs> I have to share this a minute because this was quite a moment for me and I think for my wife. Two days ago, we went to a uh, memorial service. A temple that I used to go to. You too, Karen. And as I was looking there, my eyes began to tear up, not because the memorial service was really sweet and touching and a lot of family, but I looked up and I saw the same podium, the same altar that I'd seen <laughs> 43 years ago. And it was like I relived it. I saw the rabbi, he sat down in the canter game up and he sang and it was all beautiful and I saw a father come up and he did the, the reading of the braktash, the, the bar mitzvah reading with the little boy about to become a man. At that point, I'd been crushed, pushed down, perplexed, gone. Had just found Jesus, but I didn't know anything about the love of Jesus. I only knew about the persecution of Jesus. And I wasn't wise. I was telling everybody in the temple about him. Caught up. The rabbi stood up. Looked like he was asleep before he stood up. I thought we were going to get some great midrash or something. He looked at me and he said, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you don't belong here. All the eyes turned and I showed my wife where I was sitting when it happened. I didn't know what to do, but I, I had a, a choice. Do I deny Jesus at that moment? What do I do? I got up. I walked out. I got to the entrance. Just going out behind the big wood doors are still there. The same doors are still there with the stars I had on it. The same doors. They looked like they got refinished some, but they're the same doors. Because I hadn't been back there since then. 
And I took my wife and I showed her where I crawled over to a little cubbyhole on the way out and was bawling like a baby because I realized that now I was like ostracized completely. It was all lost, all gone. And I heard the voice of the Lord. I heard the words from the mouth of the Lord. He spoke to me in the eye of the storm. <laughs> Everything around me had collapsed and crushed. There was no way out. And he said to me, son, you will have a wife, you will have a family, you will have children. You will have a son like the one you asked before. And you will call him Samuel Isaac. I walked out of there. No one had taught me about gratitude and thank you and attitude and all that stuff. I wasn't church taught. Thank God. I got in that old, old Oldsmobile that had on the back bumper sticker that got me in trouble, Yeshua HaMashiach. I got up to Fifth Avenue. I pulled into the park. I wiped my tears off. I got out. I got on my knees. I said, according to your word, Father, let it be done. A declaration. I didn't know. It came out of the Spirit. According to your word, let it be done. And then this poor lady over here, first time I met her, right? I said, I'm going to marry you. We're going to have children. We're going to have a son. Took a little while to convince her. She didn't have a choice. And little did I know, she was praying for the Lord to send her a man of faith. In the eye of the storm, it could get dark. There's pain. Sometimes we lose people too soon. We've all been there. I remember the last time my grandfather was taken out in an ambulance. He practically raised me. We had the same namesake. I remember it as vivid as I can. I remember the losses of loved ones and dear people. And now my best friend. Two of them in two years. Harry Jackson and Garth Coots. Two dear, dear brothers. I miss them. I still have their voices on my phone. I find myself at times wanting to go call them, both of them. Two nights before he died, my phone rang at 11 o'clock at night. I looked at my wife. I said, it's Garth. Garth's calling me. And he tried to say something. He couldn't talk very well. 
I just kept trying and talking with him for 50 minutes on the phone. I did the only thing I could do. I began to pray in the spirit and he be, his spirit began to pray with my spirit. He couldn't talk to anybody. He was holding on by a thread of life, but his spirit prayed with my spirit. His spirit communicated with my spirit. The last words I heard from him. And off he went. His assignment was over. In the eye of the storm, not only can we find refuge, we already have the refuge. We just have to find the place to land. Might be a little rough landing. You might bend your prop. You might have a few shatters. I remember telling somebody just a few days ago, love is strong and love is fragile. Love endures, but it can shatter like glass into pieces. It's up to us to hold on to the love. Finally this, Second Corinthians chapter four, verses eight. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. That's who we are. That's what we are. So beloved, life indeed is a journey. Life here on earth, it's a journey. We've talked about it many times. It has many chapters to it. If you're a new creature in Christ, then you don't have to have the sting of the old chapters in your life anymore. Old things have passed away and all things are made new. You can't really understand it until you try it. <laughs> you know, you can't grasp some of the blessings we have in life, both natural and spiritual, until we experience them. We can hear about them, but until you experience them, we don't really grasp what they are. You see, we're those people that God has created in His image to live life in the fullest way, not just in the happiest way, according to the world, but an abundant life. If we don't understand tears, if we don't cry, we don't have compassion. If we don't understand grief, we don't mourn. Blessed are the mourners, for they shall find the heaven. If we've never had to overcome illness, we don't understand the fear and despair of illness. If we've never had to experience poverty 
and having to struggle for our finances, we don't understand what it's like for somebody else to have to live hour by hour, day by day. If we don't understand loss, we don't appreciate gain. We love the people that are still with us more because of the people that we can't love in the flesh that are gone. I never put believers in past tense (laughs) because they're not. I still love Garth. Garth still loves me. He's still my best friend. I'm still his best friend. God makes a way where there is no way. He puts us under the shadow of his wings in the Almighty. He comforts us. He does take us by the still waters. He makes a place for us. A place to have a landing. A place to straighten out your prop. A place to get back in. Fly away. God makes a way. God makes a way. God makes a way. Sonny, just something. New, old, what you got, son? My soul needs to sing. morning or you're online wherever we can touch whoever you are whatever time zone you're in if you've never really taken that step and said you know what I don't really like religion well guess what either do I I don't really understand everything fully either do I and neither did I 
Sometimes we just take a leap of faith. Sometimes we just say, you know what? I'm going to dare to do and dare to believe. Sometimes we just give in to the Spirit of God comforting our soul. If that's you and you say, Pastor Frank, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to invite Jesus into my life today. I don't know what to expect, but you know what? It's got to be better than what I got. And maybe it'll fill what I don't have. Or you say, you know what? I, I was there, but I'm not there right now. Stuff happened. I had to find my way again, and here I am. And I know the Lord's leading me by His hand. If that's you, I want to pray with you this morning, just right where you are. I don't get into all of the... I'm not going to be critical, but to me, the public confession thing is wonderful, but a lot of times it's a barrier. We'll confess the Lord in our time where we are and who we are. He knows. <laughs> he knows. So I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed, please. And I'm going to invite you right now. If you say, you know what, Pastor, I want to pray with you. I'm going to, I'm going to just pray, make a statement with you, and agree with you, just you and I, and all these wonderful people by me. If that's you, I want to ask Jesus into my heart or I just want to get back, get back to who I am with him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, just, just shoot your hand up a minute, right where you're at. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, yes. And if you're online, you just do it, do it spiritually, do it as just a, a sign and a covenant for the Lord to see himself. And let's pray. It's real simple. I believe in God. Say it after me. I believe in God. Come on, church. Help me. I believe in God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's my Redeemer. I believe He came to earth as a man. He died for my sins. He descended into hell. He paid the price for my sins. And he was resurrected on the third day. He's back in heaven. And by his blood, my sins are forgiven forever. Father, forgive me. Jesus, be my Lord. Spirit, come into my heart. Help me to see the way now. I submit myself to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you. I have a praise report for you while Patty prepares to take the offering and and uh, drop something upon us, whatever you have. Here's the praise report. Do you remember a couple weeks ago, 
I couldn't close the service. I said, the Lord has some unfinished business. And I pondered here quietly and stupidly before you for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, I said, oh, I got it. And I invited on Warren and his wife up here. And I said, we need to pray that they get their green cards. He needs to go back to his church. Two days later, two days later, the green cards were issued. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Huh? You can't write a script like that. How do you write that? I mean, how do you prophesy to the U.S. government who screwed up our whole border, they got the whole immigration thing all messed up, and they get him his two cards his, for all of his family. I think we're still waiting for one for Isaac. For some, well, maybe Isaac needs to stay with us for a little while. I don't know. He looks a little like the, uh, you know, he got the beard and everything. Maybe. So we're going to pray Isaac's in right now in Jesus' name so they can get back to their house church and minister to that church. They need their shepherd. They need the mother of the house. They need them both. They need them. They're crying out for them. Pakistan needs it. That nation is in his hands. So we send them back with love. Amen. So, Father, you do it in Jesus' name. Get that last card there. Get them their airplane tickets. And, Lord, we send them off with a kiss. We send them off with a hug, but we send them off. And we ask them, Lord, to go do what you've given them to do and then bring them back to us, Father. Off to, they could go back and forth, whatever you wish. Keep him, keep them true to their assignment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? God bless you. Thank you for putting up with me. Patty's going to take it from here.